Hello and welcome to the Court of Violets podcast. I'm Joe. And today I am here with Muse. Hello. And V. Hi. We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps so that you can skip over those titles if it's something that you didn't read yet or are just not interested in reading. <sighs> I had a bunch of comics I needed to read this week. Mm-hmm. None of them were good. Why is this what we say every single week? I want it to be better, okay? I was really looking forward to March and like, none, no more of this future state garbage. I mean, they did release the, well, at least DC did release the new summer solicits, so you can get a look, and uh, we're, we'll be talking about a couple of those titles that are, are coming out after we get through our weekly comics, but yeah, none of it was good. I mean, I read Muse's title, and that was okay for me, but I actually just started to dive back into my giant stack of comics I've been meaning to read that I've collected mm-hmm. from, like, Midtown and so I just never got around to reading and I think and you got some so brand new better. Robin comics to read too. I did you sent me some amazing Tim Drake Robin comics yep. the whole like first mini series and everything I was like I had some duplicates and I was like I'm just gonna send it y'all's way because you'll make use of it <laughs> I will and it's going to be so much better than what we've been reading so I am going to go first because I can go through this really quickly. I read the horrible Superman Red and Blue issue 2 done by various writers and artists. V did not join me on this one because she refused to pick up this title again unless it got better. The first one was, it was a warning. Why would you think the editors could pick better the second time? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't like a single thing in this one. At least in the first issue, like, I thought two of the stories were just okay. So, to start it off, this guy, Steven Siegel, never heard of him before. He did a story about a hashtag woke Martha Kent (laughs) having lunch with two of her gal pals at the Smallville Diner. And they were saying how happy they were that she adopted a son, but it's probably not the same as having your own son. And she just went off and, like, is having your one of your own, blah, 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 like, caring for them, being worried about them. Basically, you know, just parental things that they think about with a child of, like, oh, I care about this person. I hope that they do good things. But every time that she would start listing something, you would see an image of Superman. And the pacing of it is weird because you can't tell if... She had just recently adopted Clark, or is he grown up? You can't tell because she's not really explaining it clearly. It sounds like they're just hearing for the first time that her and Jonathan adopted a child. It turns out that's not the case because Clark joins them at the diner later. (laughs) But not until Martha mentions the fact is like, it doesn't matter to me if he or she... Or they Uh. go off to do whatever they want to do. (laughs) I understand that we want to have gender equality and all that stuff. But Martha Kent is an elderly Midwestern woman. Mm -hmm. There are some things that she's just not going to quickly change to. Well, non-binary as like a 
group hasn't been like a thing, like a, a mainstream thing for like, it's less than five years old now, isn't it? Well, there's always been those that have been non-binary. It's just really not been recognized until very recently. Yeah, I was going to say like more pronounced within like the past recent years. Yeah, it's right. because more people are coming out and feeling safe to say that they're non-binary without people looking at them like they're crazy. Yeah, I, you know what, I'm with you. I, I think there's about as much chance of... George Washington saying, you know, he, she, they, as there is of Martha Kent doing yep. it. Like, it's just, you know, it's that old middle America personality. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's one thing I'm sure she sees it on the news or Clark is reporting it in the Daily Planet or whatever. But that doesn't mean that she's going to be like so quick to jump on the bandwagon, especially when she's out to dinner with two of her other elderly friends. I don't know, though. You bring yeah. up a good point. Do you think that Clark browbeat her into it? No. No. Clark doesn't cover those stories. He doesn't cover those stories? He covers, like, you know, the giant murders or the Superman feat of the day or gang busting something. Yeah. You don't think he's doing um, slice of life pieces? No, it would be that Cat Grant or Trish Q covering those types of stories. Hmm. But yeah, so then at the end of it, Clark shows up in his Smallville getup saying, Hi, Ma, sorry I'm late. And then she gets up from the table and just kind of says, like, what's supposed to be, like, a snarky comeback to her two gal pals, and then her and Clark leave. What was the snarky comment? I don't remember. It was so dull. <laughs> oh, but, gosh. And then See you later, get... you barren hussies. <laughs> 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 then we get cut to Earth 2 with the Superman of that planet, Val Zod. Right. And um, this was done by Chuck Brown. And he decided that the crypto, the superdog of Earth 2, should be in a metal suit of armor and talk. Isn't he also, like, kind of person-shaped? Yes. The armor looks like an Iron Man outfit, pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Except Crypto's head is exposed, and he looks more wolf-like. And he is walking around, he's flying around, he is talking <laughs> to Superman as they're in space dealing with this threat. It reminded me of... <laughs> henchman from megamind yeah his little fish head (laughs) that's all it was that was my big takeaway because i couldn't get past that and also crypto's speech bubbles were the shape of a dog bone so you don't get confused of who's talking it's cheesy but i think i think that's kind of cute though but if it happens all the time it's i don't know I've never seen Crypto in Earth 2 before. No. Wait, 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 wait. We have to go back. Crypto talks? Yeah, apparently in this. It, well, weird. in this and the last time Crypto spoke was in his TV show in the 2000s because he had a voice communicator thing. Uh, oh. But it was synced up with an earpiece. So whoever wears the earpiece can understand Crypto. Oh. Oh, that because he could talk to the kid. Right. But most of the time you saw Crypto talking in the show for Crypto the Superdog, he was talking to the other animals. Yeah. So it was no different than like us thinking like animals communicate with... Homeward bound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of thing. You're like, okay. And then just for the sake of we have to include a kid because it's a kid's show, he has to understand exactly. the dog. But yeah, that's, uh, that's the only <laughs> other time I've ever heard Crypto speak. I couldn't get past that fact. I was like... 
he just it looks menacing too because you know the story can only be told in red and blue so crypto was normally just seen in like all red so it looks even more fierce whose blood did you bathe in crypto wait so it's the only red thing I wish that this comic had been like, hey, it's red, white, and blue. Because it's very, it's still very Superman with the, like, and having at least some absence of color with white would allow, I don't know, Crypto to look like Crypto. Oh, no, there's white in it. There is white? There still is, yeah. Like, they just decided for this story to screw it. (laughs) Screw it. There's some reasons. Number one, you can't say white because there's no white on his costume except for him. So you'd just be like... Hey, there's Superman. Remember, he's white. He's the white in the red, white, and blue. And then, secondly, think of how much money you're saving by not typing white all those times. That's true. Win, win, win. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was my big takeaway for the second story. Third story was done by Dan Panosian, and basically it's just Lex daydreaming a hypothetical situation if he used red kryptonite on Superman and what would happen. Excuse me? That's it. Because Red Kryptonite, even, like, to this day, it doesn't have, like, a definitive effect. Uh-huh. Like, saying, like, oh, like, you know, the green one just weakens him, blue one takes away their powers. Red one, it does a whole bunch of wacky stuff ever since the Golden Age, when it was first introduced. So, and Lex's hypothetical is like, oh, no, this is definitely what's going to help me stop Superman. So in one aspect, he puts it into a robot. Another aspect, he has it in a box. And then Lex is literally duking it out in a boxing ring with Superman, like <laughs> Superman versus Muhammad Ali style. And um, at the end of it, because, you know, Superman wins each time, Lex looks at the box that he first received the right kryptonite in. And he's like, OK, put it back in the shelf. I won't touch it. And then he walks away from his warehouse. What? That's it. The whole thing was a hypothetical daydream. I hate the hypotheticals, but that is so funny because it gives me Yzma vibes. (laughs) She's like, okay, so I'll stick that box inside of another box and I'll mail that box to myself. (laughs) I'll smash it with a hammer. so much better than what we got. <laughs> I get it, though. Like, you know, you can't have any other color of kryptonite. It's the only one that makes sense with this series. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could have used a blue kryptonite and take away his powers. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's coming. <laughs> Issue three. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the concept. I would like to see it enacted. I don't like hypotheticals. But, yeah. But it would be fun to see... You know, the red kryptonite used in different ways. Well, especially because I got really excited for the red kryptonite and to see Lex, because we haven't really seen Lex Luthor since you're the villain. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen him in, uh, what was it, Imperious Lex. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my god. I forgot that was a thing. Still need some bleach to scrub that from my brain. <laughs> and then uh, Stephanie Phillips, the new writer on Harley Quinn... She did the fourth story, and pretty much a little girl is doing a show-and-tell where she has a rock from space, and she's trying to show it off and say, yeah, Superman gave it to me after I helped him get a bunch of people out of this dangerous situation when he was fighting a robot, and none of the kids believed her. And, of course, like we're seeing the flashback of her retelling the story of how she met Superman at the site and everything. So they're on the playground. She's sketching little Superman doodles in her notebook. Two little kids go up there and say, What's up, nerd? Drawing more Superman? Those look dorky. 
And then Superman flies down to the playground and says, thank you so much for all your help before. None of those people probably would have gotten out if not for you. And he gives her, her cape, his cape, and that's how it ends. He gave her his cape? Yeah, because what? one of the dorky kids took her fake Superman cape from her. So Clark gave the girl his cape. It's kind of sweet, but I hope she doesn't get that taken from her, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the end of it, the two kids were like, I guess the drawings are pretty okay. I'm sorry, I called you a liar. Of course, because Superman just showed up and it's like, oh, dang, she does know Superman. And not only was she not lying, she knows Superman. Like, they're just like, sucking up to we've this We've seen it before. Now. Like, it's, it's cute, but we've seen it a million times. Yeah. And then the last story is from Jason Howard, and it actually focuses on Cyborg Superman in his secret lair where he has a janitor. And uh, the secret lair is on top of a volcano. Too much heat causes the volcano to explode when Superman got there and used his heat vision on the ground. And he rescued a janitor. A cyborg Superman kidnapped a janitor, janitor why? Just... No, he hired a janitor. Okay, sorry. I'm really bad at paying attention, apparently. Why so Superman hired? got mad at him hiring a janitor? and No, Cyborg Superman was up to something evil because... Cyborg Superman and the actual Superman flew to his secret base to take care of the problem and one of the, the easiest ways to do it was oh there's magma under here if I just heat up this floor with all this equipment and whatnot it's gonna cause the whole place to erupt so and I'm just gonna pick up the janitor and take him to safety was the janitor the narrator yeah oh okay was the janitor saved by Cyborg Superman or Superman? He was Cyborg Superman's janitor. But Superman, saved Superman saved him. Right. But oh. what did the janitor think? Like, what was his whole point in being there? He just needed a job, but he doesn't like his boss. Oh, it was one of those, like, my life is pretty average. I put my shoes on like every other man and then go work for a supervillain in a volcano. Yeah. The commute is tell but it's a dry bridal heat. style to the volcano every morning oh my gosh this is the dumbest it was horrible and uh yeah that was it i gave it a one out of ten i would go lower if goodreads would allow me to <laughs> why let goodreads stop you give it a zero out of ten it's your podcast it's you're okay. right it is <laughs> you're right <laughs> So that was mine, but now I want Muse to cover the issue that I thought oh. was just okay. Well, what way to set her up like that? Jeez. You tell him, Muse. Tell All him right. the truth. <laughs> so I'm going to add some positivity in this episode because I know V's about to sandwich this with some more crazy. Look at, look at my face. Do I look unhappy? <laughs> You're. <laughs> That's exactly why Not I was negativity, having but second just news because criticism. I was like, I want to start this off because I'm going to be talking more about Superman after we're done. Fair. But um, <laughs> v, let's just say V's is more amused criticism. There we go. Amused it's criticism. <laughs> I'm so excited, you guys. She's so All right. excited. It's I'm, great. I'm focused. I'm I'm here for you, Muse. Don't even think about my story. I'm ready to hear about your guy. Okay, so I'm covering Nightwing issue number 79. The writer is Tom Taylor, and the artist is Bruno Redondo. So I loved 78. Is that the one with the dog? 
It was the one with the dog and the Alfred letter. Alfred's letter hurt. Let's just say that. I got feels from Alfred's letter. Um, That might be another reason why I rated this so much higher, because I read them back to back. So I was Uh, able to kind of get more of the impact from that influencing this issue. mm -hmm. So first it starts out with Dick Grayson pretty much referencing everyone that's kind of important to him, everyone that was able to like pick him up when he fell, his biological parents, Bruce, Alfred, the Titans, his brothers, and then of course Babs. I love the spreads for the art for the first three pages. They were so well done. It starts out with Dick Grayson in his Flying Grayson's uniform jumping off the building doing his little flip as it progresses down with him then Robin, the old Nightwing outfit, the new 52, and then his current Mm -hmm. blue one. And you're like, that was so great. And then seeing his family, everyone helping him actually pick him up. And yes, of course, I got feels from the him referencing his brothers. And you saw everyone. You saw Jason, Damien, and Tim. It was kind of like, hey, look, we can't forget all the, we can't forget the other Robins. I think he considers them all of his brothers. I don't know how the other Robins consider the other Robins much. Mortal like, enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Except I think they all look up to Dick Grayson as their big brother. Even Jason. Like, I'm sorry, Jason. He's... you don't get a say jason no it was just really sweet and i just like the moments between barbara and dick they're they're witty they're funny but at the same time very heartfelt because um they leave his apartment they go get some pizza and they hang out in the park and he's still really readjusting from being doing the whole rick grayson thing Mm -hmm. right in the middle of joker war at the same time so He's got a lot to sort through. If you read issue 78, he wasn't himself when Alfred died. So there's a lot of guilt that he's kind of dealing with right now. And I'm interested to see how Tom Taylor explores a lot of the emotional impact of Rick Grayson later in the series. Mm -hmm. Because I wish we could shove that under the rug, but I'm happy that it's getting (laughs) dealt with, not completely ignored. Like, certain girl that he was dating... During that whole Rick Grayson thing. <laughs> we haven't heard hide nor hair of her. I cannot remember her name for the life of me. B. B, yes. Um, was there for him the entire time. They had an interesting moment during Joker War. But I felt that. that wasn't enough to like wrap up the relationship that they did have. So, And then Tom Taylor is immediately very heavily implying the relationship between Dick and Barbara. Like oh, he, yeah. he, he he's went heavy on that. This. Mm-hmm. Very obvious, but that's not why I'm here. I'm here for Dick Grayson stuff. But if that happens, it happens. Wow, that was kind of salty from a chronic shipper. <laughs> you're you're not into it. Okay, so it's weird. I I technically ship both him with Corey and him with Babs. I'm more mm-hmm. Barbara and Dick in the comics because of just their history. Yeah. But I do like Robin and Starfire from Teen Titans. I liked them in the animated universe that we did have, the movie universe that we did have. Their banter was cute. But I don't like when relationships are just like, hey, we're just going to force this relationship back on you guys. And then eventually break them up again because I don't know how many times these two have broken up. Is it just trauma from Steph and Tim? That (laughs) and just a bunch of other, like, Batcat... Too soon, Muse. Too soon. (laughs) It's been three years. Shut up. (laughs) 
now Clark and Lois, like, the one couple that's actually been, like, not broken up in such a long time. I know, they were, like, hashtag goals, and now... Yeah, I know! It's like, nope. No one's nope. safe. No one has been safe. So, she's really trying to kind of help him in her own Barbara way to move on and get through all of this. So that's why she's here, I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Besides giving him pretty much the inheritance letter from Alfred in the last issue. If she was there to deliver that, she'd be like, alright, I'm done, and then leave. But no, she's she's here for Dick. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah! <laughs> oh you avoided it so carefully for so long. You did it. I think we've learned that, like, whenever Dick Grayson is in conversation about something, there's always going to be some type of joke or whatever that's going to slip, and it's just so unavoidable. <laughs> he did mention in um, 78 that it's hard to go around with a name like... like but Dick. he chose that. He yeah, chose he that himself. That. But that was but before everyone true. started saying dick butt. <laughs> like, now it's like a meme. It's too mean. He doesn't want to be a meme. That's just the only reason. It's the, it's the Rick Astley of the DC Universe. Oh my, <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you just have that ready to go? No. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Get us back on track. Alright, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring us back. Um, so, while they're eating pizza, a homeless man and his son come up asking Dick and Barbara if they have any spare change, and, excuse me, Dick Grayson, what the heck is that reaction? What does he do? Well, he looks like a deer in headlights, and, like, someone's about to attack (laughs) him. That is the worst reaction when someone's approaching you that's homeless. <laughs> the sad thing too is like it was the both of them. It was both Barbara and Dick. Oh, no. Both of them have like this wide-eyed look. The, oh, um, <laughs> the pores. I don't carry cash anymore. Oh no, Brava actually seemed a little concerned. I need to see that. I need to see the face. Do you want me to send it? Yeah, send it to me. Oh, it's a whole panel of him just like. Well, first of all, he's holding his son forward like a hostage, so that <laughs> might have like thrown I, him for a loop. I would have said barter. <laughs> barter. <laughs> I'll give you this for a dollar. <laughs> and there's Babs. Oh my gosh, they really are. Like, wh- why are they reacting like that? Like, he's A-posing. Like, he's f- afraid of what this guy will do to him with his kid. Like, his kid is a weapon. And yeah. Babs is just like, I don't really carry cash. She has to do that. She has the, you know, the, the usual, the like, I'm going to pat my pockets even though I know what's in them. I feel like this is just, <laughs> this is an artist trying too hard. I don't yeah. think this is, like, Tom Taylor's vision for this nope. scene. This is, this is definitely an artist thing because Dick Grayson later on, he has those kind of very over-the-top expressions, but they're funny, and Dick Grayson always has been a very expressive. Mm-hmm. Not this expressive, though. Joyful person. <laughs> And it's a breath of fresh air to actually see expressive characters, because later on, here I'll show you. I'm not over this page, where he has a star behind him as he goes, wait! And then he throws his hands out like he's the ghost of Christmas present. But yeah, this second page, just the, (gasps) when his wallet gets stolen, and he's just like, looking around, he's like, never tell Batman about this. I think the kid stole my wallet. And Barbara's in the background and you can just see her little like, I'm totally not texting the family about this. And yeah. then he's just like, 
That's the fan service. I uh, love it though. I found it hilarious. I'm happy that the fa- like the Bat Fam isn't like estranged as we pretty much have made them out to be. They actually are in communication with each other, and they are a I don't know a family. Yeah, but I mean, like that's fine if you want to say it's a and there's a group chat. Like, okay, it's pretty assumptuous. But then at the bottom where she's like, you know how much Cass loves those emojis. And it's just notification after notification after notification. It's just the family. Like you, you don't know what's. I don't feel like she would do that though. She no. wouldn't just spam emojis. That's not like a cast thing. But like I don't think it's just cast. It could have also been, t- like Damien. It could have been a being, bunch of others. It could have been like Damien just being like, t- really, you're that incompetent. And then Tim would be like, oh, trying to defend Dick. Maybe. Well, if Damien was a part of this and he responded, they would be like, Damien, where the hell are you? Yes. <laughs> Seen for months. You stole Bruce's you? black book? What the hell is going on? We heard you were keeping a dungeon of criminals? What the heck? Are you with Fair. your mom? Are you okay? He, and first, and secondly, let me just tell you something, okay? He would not respond to Babs on the best of days. He no. would text Dick directly and be like, Call him out. Grayson, I hear fool. you've grown incompetent. <laughs> Would you like this sick burn I have prepared for you on such an occasion? I have a list. Let me do them chronologically. As they came to me. I, I the, the most recent one was last night. I woke up in the middle of the night and thought of a sick burn. And I've been holding on to it. Here it is. Damien just reminds me of, like, a Draco Malfoy of the Bat family. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's there's stuff you can do, but, like... I'm more upset with the art. Like, the art is on point. Like, it's on model, and it's competent. But the fact that he's playing to the back row every time, he doesn't just, like, look around. He puts his whole body into, well, what am I looking at? Like, he's bending his head. Um, I hope you heard that on the microphone. My head, like, swinging back and forth <laughs> like a window. But, like... He is throwing his whole body like the only way he could be more silly is if he like stuck his nose down to the ground like a blood <laughs> Like he's he, and then when he looks over at her uh, texting, he's like putting his whole back into a big hunch and like his whole his whole body is like a a pool noodle like at all time <laughs> like in this one I don't understand. I guess I just really like expressive art when it comes to characters. I myself am a very expressive person. But I'm not, like, this expressive, but still. (laughs) If you were this deranged (laughs) in person, I don't know how I would... I'd walk away. I'm sorry, Muse. I love you. But, like, I can't be seen with someone doing this. And also her, like, hee-hee face where she just goes... She's had a couple chibi moments in the the past two issues. She gets dot eyes. There's a few that are, like, really good expressions, Mm. you know? But... I think her with the dog. Given that, like, the the situations do not call for the intense horror level faces, where, like, you could hear, like, the the strings, the horror strings in the background (laughs) as he, like, stares at a homeless man. Like, it's like, it's that face Kronk makes when he's, like, (laughs) crawling across, like, those. But I can also hear, like, the, like, the oven timer as he's, like, coming up with the idea to buy everybody a whole bunch yes! of food. Then he's, happy face! Ho ho ho, everyone! Throws his hands out, puts his back into it. It's, like, really weird. Sorry. I spent way too much time on this art. I just can't no, describe you're accurately how much it 
throws me. I appreciate this artist. I don't want to drag him. I just yeah. think that um, it's insane. He is a he's a really great artist. His yes. art is what makes me rate the the comic as high as I do, just because of those sunsets and the skylines that he throws into this series. Oh yeah. Is he also the colorist, or is he just? The color and texture goes really well with his yeah. style. Um, the colorist, Adriano Lucas, is yeah, doing a the really good job. Yeah, two of them together is, yeah. is really great. It's really what sells the comic for me. Because a lot of the times we've noticed, like, oh my gosh, it's like, oh wow, your colors are beautiful, like your backgrounds are great, stuff like that. And then the artist kind of is garbage. Mm. It, it really can make or break. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they really work very well together and I'm very happy about this um the artist duo that we have for this run I know Bloodhaven usually can be also a bit of a darker tone to things because it is sort of similar to Gotham but I like how we are seeing color yeah it's purpley and blue instead of gray mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of that vapor wave just in the background but not as like obvious yeah, it's like kind of subtle. just set in like this five to eight p.m. time, yeah. like setting in each of the se- both issues so far. Nice, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. But they go to try and track down whoever stole his wallet. We go back to his apartment building that he owns the entire block of. Um, we get obligatory shirtless Dick Grayson, sure. and mm-hmm. I'm perfectly happy with that. That is fan service, and I will admit to that. <laughs> Thirsty Muse, got it. <laughs> That's the fan service, Joe. Not the, the <laughs> fat fan thing. He was talking about actual fans. Uh, <laughs> fans who love the lore, not the bod. <laughs> but this is also fan service, you gotta admit. There, there's a lot of fan service thrown into both issues so far. I, I noticed the, the obligatory shirtless Dick Grayson, <laughs> and I'm like, that's fine. I'm okay with this. And they go and they track down the kids, and of course, it leads them to potentially plot-related stuff that's going to happen later with our new mayor, not yet confirmed, of Bloodhaven. So, mm-hmm. and these kids make a dumb mistake of trying to steal from these goons. Like, sorry, they look like freaking mafiosos out of The Godfather. It's the Moroni <laughs> mob. You don't do that. But... Afterwards, as Dick is kind of like observing because he doesn't want to engage yet before they do anything, the Moroni mob gets upset and chases after the kids. So he goes and jumps in, and we have this amazing spread. I love when artists do this with Nightwing. You actually mm. seeing mm-hmm. the movement because he is probably one of the most mobile heroes that we have. He is very acrobatic. With your eyes, you can follow, and it re- it moves like you see the movement. And I am very happy that he managed to get this across. Like any of those stairway scenes that you see in like Catwoman or Batman or whatever. Yes. Oh, like in Hush with Mm -hmm. the theater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just really adds an impact and I'm happy that he dedicated two pages to this because Mm -hmm. it it needed the two pages. Um, We go on a little high speed chase to find the kids and it turns out there's an entire tent city for kids which is kind of concerning seeing as earlier the homeless man and his son after getting free pizza from dick grayson the dad gets attacked and his heart essentially gets ripped out of his chest by this weird device and the son gets away so whoever this villain is is i think really only attacking adults they're not attacking kids which is why there's a 
bunch of these kids their parents have fallen victim to whoever this is that's coming after them and so we're hitting the orphan angle with dick grayson a little bit but at the same time anyone would be like i have to do something so especially with the alfred inheritance that he got yeah he decides that he's going to try and do something to help um, the homeless population in Bloodhaven. And I'm really happy to see like Dick Grayson still trying to figure out what exactly he's going to do with his inheritance. Because at the end of the last issue, he was like, what am I supposed to do with this? Well, the other big thing, too, is that what you know is it's leading up to is him funding the Teen Titans Academy. Mm-hmm. So you can get yep. all those other teen heroes and whatnot involved in their own version of the Xavier School. But I'm still a little unsure about this weird heart-grabbing villain man. But that's because this is the first we've seen of him in this arc at mm-hmm. all. I'm happy he didn't try and throw us a villain last issue. I think it worked appropriately based off of where he was going with the story. So. Well, that and they, they already threw in the other two big bads that are going to be appearing yes. in this series. You got mm-hmm. Blockbuster, who has mm-hmm. a completely new redesign. He's no longer yes. made of complete brick. Yep. He looks like a normal human, he's just big and muscular. And then you also have Miss Zuko, yep, who is yep. the daughter of the mobster that killed Dick's parents. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely going to be some uh, conflict there with her now being the de facto mayor. And... Mm-hmm. I feel like this heartless guy, like he's going to be just an underlining villain, nothing mm-hmm. like too... Definitely major kind of like the weird catholic villain going on in catwoman right now (laughs) yeah we're like he's just kind of there not really doing too much he's like i'm not gonna kill you yet when you're sad i'll kill you (laughs) it's like all right buddy great thanks for coming i really definitely enjoyed this i started reading nightwing rebirth back in the very beginning issue one back in 2016 and i enjoyed it but it was just a lot of like Dick Grayson going on missions and stuff, and we didn't really see him in Bloodhaven. We kind of got some of it, but I'm happy to get some more grounded heroes doing stuff locally. Mm-hmm. I would put it in the 8 range for wow. 8 out of 10. I really am enjoying this right now, but this is also a little bit of like throwing issue 80, like 78 in here as well. Um, nice. Kind of a mix of both. Um, it kind of sounds like it's hitting all your buttons. It is. I don't know. Like, for me, it's still... It was a little too fan service for me. And a lot of the dialogue just felt very surface level. But maybe it's just still, like, too early for me. He takes a little while to really ramp his stories up because no one really likes Injustice. But it still takes a while for really for Injustice to kind of get off the ground. Joe's well, right here. <laughs> but still, story-wise, I don't care. But also, uh, X- she just invalidated X- your opinion. She no, just that, took that's, it. That's fine. I was going to say, I'm also kind of worried about the the guy who wrote Injustice who killed Dick Grayson instantly is now on Nightwing. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that shit. <laughs> All he He's needs not to gonna do kill is just trip and hit his head on a rock. And it's all over. <laughs> Little tangent about Injustice. I think the reason he did that was because he knew the impact that Dick Grayson had on the Bat family. And also his relationship with Superman. Like, Dick Grayson, if he had stuck around, Injustice might not have actually, like, escalated as much as Tom Taylor wanted Injustice to escalate. So unfortunately, 
Dick Grayson was an obstacle. That's a nice theory, but if you have any respect for the character, you don't kill him like that. Yeah. He brought him back as Deadman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Is that insult to injury? It was also just a setup so Damien could become Nightwing in the future. Yeah. Mm. But, all right, V. All right. It's roast time. Oh, now now you want to hear what I have to say? I just wanted to get my little last opinion out. I do like that Vaporwave palette, and I think it Mm -hmm. looks pretty. I just, like I said, wish that Dick was not acting to the back row. I'm sorry. It's not even, like, acting to the back row. It's, like, Vine acting. Like, he's (laughs) got a TikTok, and he's just like, what's the deal? (laughs) Sorry, I'm not going to finish that. All right. If they toned it down, you'd probably be... Probably, yeah. A Jerry Seinfeld TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Can you think of, like, how much he would flop if he was on TikTok and that was, like, him starting out? (laughs) I didn't mean to roast him. We're... we're, They're on haymakers here. All right, so... (laughs) You're probably thinking, wow, V's gonna review Catwoman because she does this every two weeks. No, no, no. (laughs) You already know what's going on with Catwoman. (laughs) But you know what? You don't know. What a segue. Is who runs the world. <laughs> it's not Catwoman. It's, it's Disney. <laughs> it's fucking Disney. And here's the thing about Disney and their weird little tentacles. Guess what property they own? Marvel. Guess what Marvel owns? Women. There. <laughs> segue complete. Women of Marvel came as we discussed last week. Uh, came out. It had quite a few stories. Mm-hmm. You'd think, oh no, it's going to be a whole anthology. You're going to talk about every story. Some of them are one page long, and they are not stories. <laughs> there is no world in which this would be called a story. It is uh, Mariko Tamaki being weird on Maine. <laughs> and we all have to deal with that. So uh, let's deal with it together. Wait, so Mariko Tamaki did all of it? No, but she did a bunch of one page stories. And yet... She wasn't in the advertisement blurb at all? They tried to hide her from us. <laughs> we wouldn't buy it if we knew. So just know that Mariko Tamaki is sprinkled throughout. Oh, we start with an introduction by Louise Simonson. I wanted to call her Wheezy, as she uh, proclaims herself to be. Oh, boy. Um, she went into a whole thing about... You know, back in the day, Marvel had men, and now it has women. That's pretty much the entirety of her. A huge page of text, which, I mean, already, you're like, this is a comic, madam. Thank God for that intro, because completely forgot about Kelly Thompson, Leah Williams, Steenie Howard. (laughs) So did Marvel, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They were, like, protecting the good ones, because... There is not one iota of writing talent in this. Oh no, your predictions Mm. are coming true. But there were good artists on some of this. That's good. I'm not going to give call-outs to them because we are focusing on the roast. Alright, so (laughs) the first one is called Manny by Mariko Tamaki and Peach Momoko, who is one of your favorite artists, right Muse? Yes, she has become one of my favorite artists Mm. recently. So this one has Lady Deathstrike uh, getting a manicure, and she (laughs) has her big stupid nails, and the woman's just like, oh, what do you want? And she lists like 11 different manicures, and the woman goes, no, 
I want them to be weapons. <laughs> Which I know that's why I go to a nail salon, so that I can turn my nails to weapons. But keep in mind, she already has, like, giant long nails. This woman mm-hmm. just bedazzles them. So she gets out to her car, and she goes, Now I just need to get my keys out. But she's all confused about how to use her nails with her little purse, and how to drive a car with those big nails. How did she get there? I don't know. They're the same size and shape. (laughs) (laughs) So then we go on to Operation Spyglass. (laughs) British accent necessary. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I... I, The cavalry's here! (laughs) Exactly! (laughs) She's so ridiculous. This one is uh, about... Captain America, but it's, um, what did you call her? Captain Peggy Captain Peggy Carter. Peggy Sue. (laughs) Sue. Oh, the caffeine wore off. (laughs) All right. Well, it's going to be a rough road now. (laughs) So (laughs) Peggy Carter is, uh, you know, Captain America in a trench coat. Um, and she's going on a spy mission in France. Um, she's going to go meet up with a (laughs) French spy. And of course, this French spy, um, she it has a prosthetic leg. Okay. Yes, it's important. It comes in handy. She's a French person, so she has to wear a beret. Okay. She's short and black. So she's checking them all, all off. <laughs> um, they go into okay. basically a dive bar, and they get approached by uh, some bad guys, and they have to fight. So Peggy Carter pulls out her shield and starts fighting with this uh, tiny girl who uses her cane, and they beat all the men up. And then she, like... Oh, they're Nazis. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. They are Nazis. Because she says, Allons-y, you fascist scum. Oh, gosh. (laughs) They're gonna bash the fash. So they, (laughs) they fight them all, and... She gets tired of using her cane on people, so she bends down and unbuckles her leg. Oh my god! Beating people over the head with her leg. (laughs) What the heck? And she doesn't fall over? No. She's too amazing. (laughs) Apparently. Also in a pleated skirt and high socks. And this one guy who's watching with a gun, he hasn't used his gun at all. He's just standing there watching these women beat up these men. And he goes, God bless French women. I think he's in what? France too, so I don't know. He just—he's just a woman appreciator. I don't know. It just reads like a shallow feminine that was empowerment too much. story. No, it's not too much because now they're sitting on a curb, and the French spy—I've forgotten her name. She's talking with Peggy. Peggy's trying to recruit her, and the French spy doesn't want any of it. She's like, "I'm just gonna disappear." She's like buckling her leg back on. <laughs> I don't know how she got to the curb without doing that, but whatever. She's doing it now. She's putting her leg back on. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And so then she just walks away. And then we cut to Peggy Carter talking to her superior. She's like, I don't know. I couldn't get to her. She was too good. And he's like, you can find a disabled spy who has a name for her prosthetic leg. And she goes, what can I say? The woman's unstoppable. And that's the end of it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, it was a little... You really had a beret-wearing person of color with a prosthetic leg beating up Nazis. 
it's it's a lot. Yeah, because yeah, it reminds me of that Tumblr post when they were like, if there are women of every color here, why isn't there a black woman? Why isn't there a black woman with disability? It would be different if she was a person, but she's clearly just a prop for Peggy in this one. It just seems like a, a dartboard decision making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't know who that was. Maybe it was a real person, but that's not how they were treated in this. Um, but that was by Elsa Shunison. The next one is She's Got the Look by Mariko Tamaki. Oh, boy. So this one's about mm. Emma Frost and you know how um, put together she is. Mm-hmm. So this one shows her failing at adulting. She's lying in her magnificently huge bed, and there's just dirty clothes everywhere. And she oh. wants to go out on the town, but she just doesn't have anything to wear. Hashtag relatable. Yeah. So she puts on, like, a dingy shirt and shorts and high-top boots... And she leaves her house, but she can project into everyone's mind that she's wearing this gorgeous designer outfit. <laughs> and that's the end of it. Wow. Wow. That could have helped Julia Roberts out in Pretty Woman. <laughs> what a throwback. It's wow, just like all 90s reference. references. Um, in the meantime, let's talk about Cretaceous Flirtatious by Natasha oh, Alterici. Oh, no. <laughs> this one. So this one made no sense to me at all. It has Mystique hanging out with, um, what's his name, the Stegosaurus man? Stegron. Stegron. And they're at a dig, and they've kidnapped um, basically the two leads from Jurassic Park. What? She definitely kidnaps those two people, and then it gets a little confusing. She goes outside, and she sees her daughter... Uh, Rogue, who's a teenager, and she just really is flirting with this guy and enrages Mystique. So she shoves him away. She starts talking about the Tyrannosaurus Rex that they're unearthing. In the meantime, the Stegosaurus man brings the dinosaur to life, and Mystique jumps on board and rides it. It all falls apart. The end. So Mystique kind of saves the day from herself. I don't know. So there you go. Uh, Back to Mariko Jamaki. (laughs) Gosh. Oh, this one's called Good Hair, and it's about Medusa. And she's trying to do womanly things. She's trying to work on her laptop. What is she trying to do on her laptop? We don't know. And she can't focus because her hair is just crazy. So she tries to get it cut. Wow. (laughs) Medusa. Okay. She seems to be familiar with this hairdresser. She's like, a little off the top, Polly. But it doesn't work out. The hair tries to kill him. So she puts it all up in a scrunchie. And that's the end. I don't like how she talks through her hair. I know, like they're snakes, but it's actually just hair. Mm-hmm. And like, why would you sever your hair when that's that's your power, like you said? Yeah, she's very proud of her hair. So like, it doesn't make any sense. And it hurts her if she cuts it. It's got nerve endings and everything for her. But it's Mariko Tamaki and she's never gotten one character right, so <laughs> fine. Miss Starfire's not my mom. <laughs> I forgot for a minute that she did that. <laughs> um, okay, so moving on to Saturday Morning in Harlem by Anne Toole. This one was about Misty Knight. Misty Knight is trying oh. to solve a mystery in Harlem. Um, a man who owns a 7-Eleven type place had some mischief done the police aren't helping him and she's trying to figure out who this person was in case they come back and do more damage 
the police talk to her and they're like, hey, Misty, come on back and join the force. You're just so talented. And she's like, nah, guys, you slow me down. And finds out that the person who destroyed this guy's cameras and made a mess in his his place was a little girl who was running from these, like, super soldier robots. And just as they're about to take the little girl back, um, the Daughters of Liberty show up, which okay. includes some faces I don't know, but it has White Tiger, Spider-Woman, the Iron Patriot, but, like, a girl... And then some other people I don't know. But they all show up, and it scares the bad guys away, and they leave. The end. Um, Wild Rhino Chase is by Nadia Shamas, and it reads like a tour through the Museum of Natural History in New York. So She-Hulk shows up to serve Rhino with some papers, but he's going on some rampage. And uh, she tries to stop him, and he goes room to room, and we get to see pretty things. I feel like this was a write-off, you know? Like, this person wanted to go see the history, the Museum of Natural History, and the only way they could do it, but it it's pay what you want, right? I mean, you could pay a donation price, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know why she did this, but uh, basically it's a tour through the museum as they fight. I think this was more of, like, just based off the past year of, like, being in a pandemic and all under lockdown. It's like, who doesn't miss this museum? Here we go. We're going to go pay room by room. Let's uh, let's fight under the under the <laughs> under giant, the giant whale. whale. Oh my gosh, they do not. That's how it starts, man. I mean, that's the best place to start, honestly. <laughs> man, this is a New Yorker thing, I swear. It's, it's one of those things where they're just like, I could kiss under the under the giant whale. <laughs> It is actually very relaxing in that room if you, like, lay down there and there's, like, no one there. You're like, huh. And there's, there's no one there. Not if you go into the corner where that sperm whale's eating that giant squid. And oh, there's yeah, no glass. Know. He's so scared of that whale. It's so Why? creepy. That was the scariest thing to me as a kid. It's almost all black. You just see the silhouette of the whale eating this squid. And then you find out you can stick your hand through there. Nuh-uh. I don't get it either. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that's basically it. At the end, he smashes his horn into her chest, and it breaks off. Then the She-Hulk turns into a lawyer person again, and she goes, You've been served, and due to all the damage, oh. you better find yourself a good lawyer. The oh end. My God. She sues him? Uh, she was probably suing him on behalf of... Oh, she was suing him on behalf of the Avengers. He was selling knockoff goods. I'm surprised she didn't throw down Matt Murdock's business card. <laughs> but she's a lawyer, so she should have thrown down her own. She doesn't want to help yeah. him. No. <laughs> so that's that. Then we get another Mariko Tamaki, and this one's my favorite. It's called Water When Needs Watering. And I feel like it's an autobiography about overwatering succulents. Because as you know, if you overwater succulents, they die. But yeah, uh, so Jean Grey is living on Krakoa, and she has this cool room all to herself. It is everything you could want except plants. So she gets a plant, a tiny little potted uh, succulent. She sets it down, and she goes, how hard can it be to take care of a plant? All they need is water. She just dunks water on it. She's like, all they need is some plant food. She sprinkles it on, and then she says, and some TLC. And then it dies, like, 
instantly turns brown and withers and she and she yeets that thing she just goes ah plants are terrible she just chucks it and breaks it and then cyclops is visiting and he's like is that a ceramic plant and she has like a little ceramic plant on her table and the dialogue really confused me because <laughs> she says and i quote this is a direct quote ceramic plants are like the ceramics of the plant world fireproof oh gosh oh my god what does that mean Re- Redundancy, <laughs> the confusion, like, why is this a line? Was the editor asleep? What's going on? But also, she's on Krakoa. Muse, aren't there a million plants on Krakoa? Oh, yeah. The whole island is tropical. <laughs> I don't know. All right, then. Four for four with Mariko. Let's see if she mischaracterizes the last one and gets a hat trick. So, um, <laughs> then she gives a there's give a cat a bone which is a terrible name for this because well it's by sophie campbell the story revolves around feral and marrow is that her name marrow the girl who like generates bones from her body oh she's like really creepy looking she gets really ugly when she's fighting and she's like sprouting bones her teeth grow long and she has like spines coming out of her back i feel really bad for marrow like she's a pretty cool character and she's got like a really just it's bad, gross like one of Isn't those like just very spike from x-men evolution yes okay i think she showed up in x-men evolution oh all right then. yeah so feral is dealing with boundaries uh she goes and hangs out in um marrow's room and she grabs a hold of one of marrow's bones and she's like ew <laughs> I don't think that's your exact word, but that's basically the sentiment is, <laughs> and Marrow's like, excuse me? And she grabs her by the tail and says, how do you like it? And then, and then they fight some more. And then there's a party that night and this girl is talking to Feral and she's being all rude to her. She's like, do you poop in a litter box? <laughs> Which I don't know. I've... <laughs> I don't know if that's, like, something you say at a party when you just meet someone. Mero sees that, and this girl goes, oh my gosh, have you met Feral yet? And she goes, yeah, I don't like her. And she goes, oh, I thought you'd be friends since you're both former Morlocks. And she goes, oh my gosh, she's a Morlock? And then she sees her getting kind of low-key bullied by this pretty mutant. And she goes over there, and she says, leave her alone! And then she fights off all the pretty mutants. They seem kind of surprised, like they weren't ready. Even though, like, that seems to be all (laughs) X-Men ever do, is just fight each other. And then they fight them together, and they're friends. And she says, you want to get out of here? And she goes, yeah, this place sucks anyways. And they walk off, the best of friends. So that gave me a plot. There was conflict, there was resolution. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know that there was any talent in there, but you know what? We're we're getting warmer. So next comes Mariko Tamaki's. The oh, goddess no, here we go. of death sleeps tonight. And this one, if you want some out-of-character performances, we've got Hela, uh, Loki, and Thor's evil sister. And she's mm-hmm. got her horrifying headdress on. And she's lying in a very American-looking bed. She has a mug that says, this is hell and I'm the queen of it. Oh, God. And then she, <laughs> she has a robe on has little skulls on it so i guess she shops at hot topic well that mug was a dead giveaway 
<laughs> she's got the whole edgy kit and she is on her iPad looking or her iPhone sorry looking through Instagram and she's like ew mortals like looking at weighted blankets for some reason and I guess she's under quarantine or something like 2020 am I right <laughs> so then a wolf goes and lies on top of her Oh, I get it, because he's her weighted blanket, and she's <laughs> she's more hip than, like, regular mortals. She's got a weighted wolf, and that's the end of it. Congratulations, Mariko. You've mischaracterized everyone you've ever touched. <laughs> um, the last one in the series is, of course, Date Night by Zoraida Cordova. It's a little weird, but basically it's uh, Gamora going, you know, I just want a job, or I want to go on the next mission, even though I kind of hate being a guardian of the galaxy because these missions are stinky or whatever. And Rocket says, I got one for you. So basically she has to go on The Bachelor, but it's like a interspace bachelor. Where she... Just female furies? <laughs> basically. Oh, no. So she has to answer the question, what is love? And like it's a blind thing. Like they can't, mm-hmm. The guy can't see them. So it's kind of like one of those old-timey ones. But it does have, like, the giving of the rose. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, basically, she dresses up like a, um, I don't even know how to say this, voluptuous black woman. And she ends up winning because of her her definition of love. And the guy goes, it's a little woo-woo, but I'll take it. And he takes her on a date. He tells her he wants her to be by his side and rule the cosmos. And she's like, I was thinking of something a little more edgy. Uh, some people burst in and they're like, that's Gamora! <laughs> and it was a real missed opportunity because he doesn't go, who's Gamora? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why is Gamora? <laughs> Where's Gamora? <laughs> but no, they just say, that's Gamora! She's a guardian of the galaxy! And she goes, you mean the deadliest woman ever? I don't know what her new moniker is. She's so boring. <laughs> so she fights them all off. Then she finds the guy hiding behind the couch and she goes, so how did you want to finish this date? I don't know. She lets a bunch of like child slaves go free. And to celebrate her victory, we see her having margarita night with Rocket Raccoon. As Rocket <laughs> taunts her about how much she likes working with him. And she's like, no. And that's kind of where we're at. Wow. Uh, talent-wise, over at Marvel. <laughs> this was just a big wow. F you to women, I guess. <laughs> I know. <laughs> From women, women by women. women. All the variant covers look like such badass stuff going on. They do. For the most part mm-hmm. that I've seen. And uh, this displayed absolutely none of that. It was entertaining and how bad it was. That is all I ask from you guys. Like, so Listen, either be like really good or be really bad. And this was really bad. So <laughs> five out of five. Everyone wins. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised they didn't have better content for stories seeing like joe said these covers had these epic looking fight scenes like we don't need to have epic fights because epic fights take a while to build up mm-hmm. and they use more pages and they wanted to do multiple stories you could at least do something domestic with them that's not like let's go shopping for shoes shoes Let's get some shoes. Like, <laughs> what? 
You do that way too well, Liz. <laughs> That's unnerving. Thank you. <laughs> but it, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah. Overall, it just gives me very early 2000s 90210 or Gossip Girl type of vibes. Fair of enough. Like, like that that's was... what the, the theme of women was. Right. And how bipolar women can be. And they just get pissed <laughs> at things. And they, they break things. What? <laughs> If they could just show me the end game and Infinity War, like, the all-female scenes, again, just in yes. comic format, I would have preferred that. I think that would have mm-hmm. done better. The way it was presented made me think they were covering for something, and the thing they were covering from was that this did not have the gatekeep in Gatekeep Gaslight Girl Boss, okay? It was definitely missing the gatekeeping, because they just let anyone into this thing. And they did cover up the fact that Mariko Tamaki wrote half of this because I looked at the introduction advertisement for it. Oh, really? There's she, <laughs> she doesn't show up at all. They hit her in the back. Like, shh. <laughs> be our dirty little secret. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, it felt very pandering. It felt very out of touch. I don't know how this was written by women and yet feels like it was trying to insult women. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of the, oh gosh, the Robin story with Stephanie that was in the Robin 80th that was written by a woman, and it was just dumb teenage girl crap. Right? No, I get it. I was telling Joe about, like, one of the earliest Gail Simone comics I read was uh, Birds of Prey, Mm -hmm. and I remember reading the Birds of Prey, and I was like, all these women sound identical. They're, like, all the same person. They all talk to each other in this, like, bitchy, mean girl way. And I don't recognize any of their individual voices. And I was really upset about it. Because, like, I was kind of into the dynamic and wanted to explore Birds of Prey. And I was kind of new to it. And I'm like, what guy wrote these women like this? And I pull it back. (laughs) It's like, Gail Simone. Oh, okay. Maybe she needs friends. I don't know. But, like, all of them were so mean to each other, and for no reason, like, they would just be really catty. And, like, I think there was a slap fight in it. So it's just that kind of stuff where you're like, I don't know why I'm watching this. It kind of, you're right, it's that early 2000s thing where girls are catty, Mm -hmm. they're mean, they're backbiting in a way that I've never seen in real, well... Do you think they're After really third just, grade, um, haven't seen in real life. <laughs> they're really just banking on the variant cover sales? Of course they this? are. Probably. Of course they are. But, like, in, if that's the case, why don't they do what both DC and Marvel sometimes do, where they just sell a pinup book, and it oh. just has all the variants? Oh, you would need more artists, nice. probably, and maybe they cost more than whoever these people are. Maybe they convince these people to write for free. I don't know. But I don't recognize these people... Well, even last week we said, like, a lot of them were new people. Yeah. Some were coming from video game industries, some of them are just just hitting it in. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there, but, like, this was all really terrible, and they need to go take a writing course, the Annex. And speaking of terrible, I got some news for you people. Oh, no. All right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you do. (laughs) So... You know how Future State was supposed to be a temporary thing, but they've slowly been trying to bring it back into all these different tellings? They're doing it again, except they're not having Future State in the name. They're replacing Superman. Oh, yeah. They're replacing the entire title of Superman with this new story by Tom Taylor called Superman, Son of Kal-El. Because it is focusing on future state John Kent. Oh my gosh, but weren't they going to do this for 5G anyways? They were going to get rid of, like, 
adult Superman for young Superman. Mm-hmm. Yep, they were. So now this so new series is by Tom Taylor and John Timms, and it's set to come out in July. It is replacing the ongoing Superman title right now that is being written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, who is also writing action comics. And this is going to be ongoing. Are they going to kill Superman? No. It's just going to have an ending to the story arc, whatever Phil Kennedy Johns is working on, and then he's only going to focus on action comics. Hmm. At least they're not getting rid of action comics, and at least there's going, we're still going to get Clark as Superman. But, but again, like nobody asked for this. Yeah. Nobody no. wanted this. Well, that was Superman or Metropolis, whatever it was called. That was one of the lowest selling Future State titles. Yeah. yeah. And you're gonna keep trying to bring this back, and then again, like I understand if. You have a writer that can't work on two titles at the same time, especially if it's the same character, but you have to have a different type of environment per title. I get that. That's why, for the longest time, you had different writers doing these different stories, and they would work hand-in-hand together. In the 80s and 90s, you had three to four different Superman titles going on at the same time, and they all worked together to make sure that everything synced up. This is what happens when you hire editors fresh out of high school. The thing is, it's the editor's job to keep consistency between the books as well. And there are so many programs now where they could coordinate. The Jira, Shotgun, Slack. I don't know. Pick one. Asana? Discord. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Like, get some stuff together. Actually, like, store your information in a mutually accessible place mm-hmm. so that both people are on the same page. You can ask questions, have them answered like a, a frequently asked questions page. I don't know. They talk about a Superman Bible of what Superman's powers are, what are some past things they've Oh, uh, yeah, some past things, the personality that he's supposed to, like, express. All these major things are supposed to be in a Superman story, which we did not see throughout the Bendis runs. We are not seeing throughout this Philip Kennedy Johnson run. And... You know what, I'm glad that maybe now this gives them more time to focus on action comics because both titles just sound exactly the same right now. Um. But still, don't focus on a future state title that didn't do well at all for yeah. you. It was one of the lowest ones. But what exactly. what's Superman doing Bendis? What did Bendis do to Superman? Uh, aside from ruin his marriage, send no, his mean, son out into space. Sale-wise. Like, it sounds like Superman's falling good. into disrepair, and that's why they're, like, trying to resuscitate it in some way. With something even worse? Yeah. <laughs> it's the DC way. <laughs> this is from, like, my observations with the people that I do follow on social media, but the people that I hear about were so upset with them aging John up to being an actual, like, teenager, young Mm -hmm. adult. Like, we want the kid John back. Like, why do you think that we got a sequel to Super Sons Mm -hmm. even after the age up? And then not just a sequel, we've had a third series. Granted, I will say the third series is confusing me. But um, (laughs) I'm going to read it and we're going to find out what's going on with it. Um, But still, the sales for that and the want for that based off of sales of Super Sons, showed that people liked that version Mm -hmm. of John and Damien. And it's not just the kids, because yes, it definitely is more inclined towards children, but even adults like it. Like, hi, I own most of that run. I own all three of those I read the entirety of the run. In my opinion, it has, like, both 
elements. Like, you're attracting young parents because it's kind of that kind of lifestyle. It's family. A lot of people can identify with family, and even if you can't identify with a family as perfect as Superman's, you can enjoy it, you know, that yeah. a functional family and how they handle life. It could have been the Fantastic Four of the DC Universe. Mm-hmm. And I mean the the successful comic I, Fantastic Four. I get what you mean. On the other hand, you have the Super Sons, which is entirely for children. So you're hitting two bases with that. But for some reason, we're always pushing for the teenage set, which, I don't know, is it just like because they have the most disposable cash? But they're not spending money. They're pirating it. Why are you going after them? I don't know. I still just don't see the point in, like, trying to revive a thing that you got so much hate for because, obviously, DC, AT&T, whoever you want to blame, is just ignoring the fans in that sense. And, again, because we're not done with emphasizing on Future State making a revival because the other thing that's coming out is a four-issue miniseries focusing on the Future State title Kennedy Johnson worked on where Superman was a gladiator on War World. Oh, no. This one's called Superman and the Authority, and it's being done by Grant Morrison and Mikkel Janin, and this comes Uh, out July 20th. No, thank you. It's a four-issue series that is going to change the Man of Steel status quo. It picks up from the Future State title as the Man of Steel recruits Manchester Black original authority members Midnighter and Apollo, Enchantress, Natasha Irons, and new versions of Light Ray and Omac to free the prisoners of Warworld. However, they'll have to contend with Ultra Humanite and a new team of supervillains he's formed to take them on. And it's teased to impact the status quo of Superman, along with setting up new stories that will impact both Action Comics and the Son of Kal-El series that Tom Taylor is going to work on. So somehow this future state stuff is going to also affect what's supposed to be present day. I love how they're like, future state's just the thing, guys. No worries. And we called it. Yeah. You lying sack of shit. (laughs) This is going to continue. And it's going to affect everything. Because as soon as future state ended, they're like, so we're going to include the magistrate and Batman. Mm-hmm. We're going to continue like the Batman run that was going on with uh, Fox. We're now having impact for the Super Family. We have Titans Academy. Need I say more? There's so many things being impacted mm-hmm. by Future State, which hasn't even happened yet. And it hasn't done well. And I, I haven't seen people enjoying it. Like when I go to check ratings when I go to check commentary mm-hmm. like people did not like future state they did not like these titles but I it's just that 5g thing they thought if we hide 5g by another name maybe they won't make fun of us maybe they'll just take it well they didn't take it but they're like well we already hired people to do these stories we don't have anything else in the works this is all we have so we're just gonna 5g ahead and that's what we're gonna get And it's horrible because they're not even trying to hide it behind Infinite Frontier because that's a whole other thing that's coming out this summer. They're just having it be, no, this is the Superman title. This is going to be ongoing. This is the new Wonder Girl title focusing on Yara Floor. This is the Suicide Squad with Connor Kent. Deal with it. And that's the attitude, and it's horrible. I will tell you the one thing I am looking forward to, though. What? is a digital series that is coming out this summer, and it is called Justice League Infinity. It is a seven-issue miniseries arriving in May, 
and it's taking place in the Bruce Tim universe of the Justice League Unlimited TV no. show. No. Yes. yes. Listen, you guys, this was the series that taught me to hate Superman. <laughs> Superman was a fascist in this series. It was my way or the highway, and he beat up Billy Batson within an inch of his life. He was a bad guy. Why do you love this one? Superman was the worst in this. I honestly I don't really remember Superman. a lot of it. I remember the 90s Superman, like the cartoon. Mm-hmm. That one was great. I honestly don't really remember Superman having a lot of talking points in the Justice League show. I didn't really like how he was just like, here, point there, and he'll go punch at it. Yeah, he was very dumb. And also, there were a lot of really inappropriate things in that series. There were so many sex jokes. There were so many people trying to sleep with underage people. It was messed up because Bruce Tim did a lot of things that I did not register as a child, but I saw it again recently. I was like, oh no. Well, this is coming out, and it's seven issues, and it's being done by James Tucker, who worked on Batman Beyond and Batman the Brave and the Bold. Oh, okay. And J.M. DeMatteis, who's worked on the 80s Justice League International, um, The Life and Times of Savior 28. He also worked on some of the 90s and 2000s Superman. And the art is going to be done by Ethan Beavers, who worked on Bedtime for Batman and Indiana Jones Adventures. Interesting. I've never seen any of that. (laughs) I think I've heard of Bedtime for Batman. I'm going to but... be reading that now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to read Bedtime but for Batman. It's, it's starring the regular Justice League team from the cartoons. So Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Jon Stewart, uh, Wally West, Jean Jones, and Hawkgirl. When will I get my Justice League of America? Forget Unlimited. Oh, I want Blue Beetle and That's Booster what... Gold. I'm getting there. He's getting there, he says. He's got <laughs> I, it in his head. I have it in my head. <laughs> it was a good thing you mentioned that. <laughs> but yes, it's the regular team. They're banding together. It's not only affecting Earth, it's apparently also affecting the multiverse. The stories are actually giving James Tucker and DeMatteis the chance to incorporate a host of new characters, just like what Unlimited was trying to do. James Tucker also served as a producer on the animated series. And Jay Mateus actually wrote a couple of the episodes, including the big story arc adaptation of Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons' uh, Superman classic for The Man Who Has Everything, which was that Black Mercy episode. Mm, that's which a good was one. a really great one. The physical copies for this is coming out July 6th. And Muse, this is good news and bad news. There is a Shazam mm-hmm. miniseries coming out. It's four issues. It's being done by Tim Sheridan. And the art is done by Clayton Henry. Comes out July 20th. This also ties into Future State. Mainly the Teen Titans Academy thing. Is this the guy who did Future State? Yes. Oh my gosh, the worst one? The worst one. So the blurb says, Billy Batson came to Titans Academy looking for answers, but so far has kept his Shazam identity a secret from his new classmates. Makes no sense to me because they're all supposed to use their powers, but whatever. Why was the rest of his adopted family cut off from the power of Shazam? Why are his own powers becoming increasingly unreliable? What has happened to the Rock of Eternity? Where's the wizard? And who can help Billy get his powers back to normal before these mysterious events turn into a full-blown crisis again? The answer sent Billy on an outrageous adventure that'll not only change him, but have an immense impact on the school and other students on Titan's Island. But they already showed us where that thread leads. Yeah. And it's the worst possible place. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So why do we care about this adventure? We don't. And that's why it's only four issues. God. Nope. I don't nope. believe they're going to release nope. this. I, I think they're going to realize beforehand and like swerve. I don't know. There were some things like the Generation Shattered stuff that was just sitting in the warehouse where it's like the idea got scrapped, but we have these completed stories. We just have to get them out. I don't know. And then the last bit, we're ending on a good note. Dan Jurgens is going to be working on a Booster Gold and Blue Beetle series coming oh, out this so summer. High. I am so excited for this. He was super excited for it. He was saying this is probably the third or fourth uh, time the project like this has shown up on like his to-do list. And he's mm. so happy about it, especially because he's the one who helped create Booster Gold back in the 80s. Ooh. Mm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Fun cool. fact. I am so excited for this. But that's it for DC News. Marvel News, uh, Shang-Chi trailer, Legend of the Ten Ooh. Rings came out in theaters September 3rd, only in theaters. Yeah. Shang-Chi is being played by Simu Liu, and Katie is a female love interest who is being played by the problematic actress Aquafina, who is getting oh, a her. lot of backlash because of what she said about race. What did she say? It was some kind of like offensive slang where she was like, I'm not going to do that to my people. Yeah, she, she refuses to like get casted in any roles where she would have to put on like what's considered an Asian ac accent. But she had no problem uh, doing a black yeah. accent for her stand-up. So everybody is super huh. pissed about it. Well. Um, so I'm interested. It looks like a kung fu movie. I'm down to see it. Oh, so happy. The fluidity. <laughs> We're getting some crouching tiger hidden dragon here. And I'm like and then, so looking forward to it. Keeping up with the, with the movie news, Thor Love and Thunder just casted Russell Crowe to be in the movie as Zeus. I didn't even know choice. Zeus even played a role in the Marvel Universe. I know Hercules yes, he is does. a thing. I did not yes, know Zeus does. actually made appearances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's all the news I got. But, Muse, if you could please take us down all the DC comics that are coming out next week. Okay, so we've got Action Comics 1030, Batman Black and White number 5, Batman Superman number 17, Challenge of the Super Sons, number 14. This is still digitally. Mm -hmm. Detective Comics, 1035. Harley Quinn, number 2. Um, the Digital Comic, The Next Batman, Second Son, chapter 9. Digital Legends of the Dark Knight, number 5. And we, of course, get our uh, number 1 for Robin. This is written by Josh Williamson. Mm -hmm. After learning of the Deadly League of Lazarus Tournament, Damian Wayne has a new mission to win the tournament and prove he is the greatest fighter in the DC oh universe. Gosh. But first, he must find the secret island where the tournament is being held. So we got we got Edgy Damien. Um, I think it's going to be well-written. Josh Williamson's doing this. But, I've seen uh, the previews, and it seems just like... And it's got Gleb! It's got Gleb! It's got Gleb <laughs> Melnikov. But it's just DC Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah. I'm not it's mad at it. That's, I'm not either. No. So it's, it's something to do with Damien. Like, Damien's just, to, just been mm -hmm. floundering. I was going to say, just to give a definitive answer of, like, okay... He's either going back to the Bat Family or he's going to take over the League of Assassins. I think he's going to do that because the Bat Family is kind of crowded right now. Well, not only that, it's already been shown in the Batman Beyond comics that he does go back to the League of Assassins. Oh. Well, you know Batman Beyond is not canon. Mm. 
You know it's not canon. It's ne- not canon. Neither was Future State, but here we are. Oh, uh, true. <laughs> we also get another number one, Ruby uh, Justice League, being written by Marguerite Bennett. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Don't like her. <laughs> Do not like her. <laughs> the DC Universe and the world of Ruby collide in this new miniseries. Discover the Bruce Wayne... Clark Kent and Diana Prince of Remnant as Team Ruby comes face-to-face with new versions of DC's Paragons of Justice. A new Grimm is running rampant around the islands of Patch, and Ruby and Yang must team up with a young farm boy to stop it. Meanwhile, Blake meets a mysterious woman who appeared on Menagerie, but what is her purpose, and why does she act like she do- she hasn't been around modern society? Um, this is probably going to be terrible. <laughs> I've seen some panels of it already because I think it got released digitally or at least a preview of mm. it. And, uh, yeah, it does not look good. Well, also, I don't know if she wrote the Ruby comic, but according to one of my best friends, we're big Ruby fans. I remember when Ruby was literally just the red trailer. That was it. That was We just had trailer one out of four trailers. And she read the Ruby comic... And was less than pleased because once again, it was that girls will be girls. Ha ha. And none of it was canon because Ruby's just going to continue on. So mm. Marguerite Bennett might have done it. But <laughs> Marguerite Bennett is the queen of girls just want to have fun. <laughs> like, Is that just what she plays in the background and she writes? <laughs> what was the name of that one with all the girls that was just bombshell babes? All right. Yeah. DC bombshells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Marguerite Bennett. And like, if you look, if you read it and you flip through it, you're like, wow, a bunch of girls in bikinis. This is fantastic. But then you read it, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> None of this makes any sense. It's very weird. It's uncomfortable. And you just, you feel bad for her. And that's how I feel every time I read a Marguerite Bennett story. Because I've read a few since and they're always like that. I don't even know who who's worse, Mariko Tamaki or Marguerite Bennett. Oh, I put That's that up hard. to the challenge. Well, we got one more DC title that is um, our friend Jedi Josh's favorite series. <laughs> <laughs> Teen Titans Academy yeah. number two. He loves Teen Titans Academy as much as I love the new Suicide Squad. Oh. And now, V, what are some Marvel comics that are coming out next week? Because I do know there are a couple number ones, which is Marvel fashion. Yeah, I, we've switched sides now. I'm all Marvel. I want to mix it up. Yeah, Beta Ray Bill is coming out. Oh god, good old Beta, number two. I know you read the first one. You did not that like it. That was not good. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Yeah, it's too bad because like I just discovered him like a year ago, and I've been wanting to know more about I him. I was so excited oh. about it. That the big takeaway was that he got drunk with Lady Sif, and they were gonna go back to the bedroom. And she asked him how come he couldn't change back into his humanoid form. Because, you know, just like Thor changes when he calls on the power of Mjolnir, (laughs) he changes shape. So Beta Ray Bill normally has like this weird alien horse face thing when he's in his godly form. And he's like, oh, I can't change back because Thor destroyed Stormbreaker. And she's like, oh, well... I'm sorry, but... (laughs) I don't sleep with horses. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so he was... He was dealing with some jelly issues with Thor, I think, in that one. Uh, Oh, well. I mean, it's not the strongest start, but maybe it'll get better. I don't know. I'm not going to stick around. Black Widow number six is out, along with Cable number ten. We also have Fantastic Four number 31. 
And then we get a number one from The Marvels. Mm-hmm. Uh, writer Kirk Busick, artist Yildere, um, I want to say Sinar. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blurb said, oh, the blurb is super long. Yeah. It says, past and present combining an all-new ongoing series. Kirk Busick from Marvels and Astro City is back with the biggest, wildest, most sprawling series ever to hit the Marvel Universe. This is the most sprawling description. <laughs> Telling stories that span the decades and range from cosmic adventure to intense human drama. From the street level to the cosmic, starring literally anyone from Marvel's first few heroes to the superstars of tomorrow. <laughs> That's a great collection. Good job. <laughs> um, this first issue includes an invasion from orbit, a picnic in Prospect Park, superhero sightseeing in Manhattan, the all-winner's squad in 1947, Reed Richards during his time in military intelligence, cosmic beings beyond space and time, and that's only for starters. Featuring Captain America, Spider-Man, the Punisher, the Human Torch Storm, the Black Cat, the Golden Age Vision, Arrow, Iron Man, Thor, and introducing two brand new characters, all beautifully drawn by Yildare Sinar, X-Men, Legion of Superheroes, and Iron Man, in the opening act of a thriller that'll take us through the Marvel Universe and beyond. Plus, who, or what, is Kashum? <laughs> it all starts here, and it goes everywhere. <laughs> Sounds God. like you guys need an editor. It's going in every direction and has no focus. You know what you could do instead is actually buy a comic about what you want to read about instead of this. But you know what? They could have done like a spotlight. There could have been some common theme. Don't they have like a Marvel snapshots thing or Marvel tales where they, they do, do that exact mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. They do. And well, I know V's going to mention this later, but the X-Men Legends one is kind of giving little random stories of X-Men. But at least it's like it's specifically the X-Men. So <laughs> it sounds like the thing in common is that Kurt Busiek is writing it. Like, that's the, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the theme. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a yep. whole bunch of kashoom to me, am I right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just heard it in my head. Yeah, yeah. So the music starts. Uh, Miles Morales Spider-Man 25 is coming out. Modoc Head Games, number four. New Mutants, number 17. Savage Avengers, number 20. Silk, number two. Star Wars, Darth Vader, number 11. U.S. Agent, number five. X-Men Legends number three, and Spider-Man Curse of the Man-Thing number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we, okay. That's going to be written by Steve Orlando. He's doing the whole thing. And the artist will be Alberto Foce. Discover the horror Man-Thing hides within, if you dare. Man-Thing's supernatural abilities have been pirated thanks to Harrower, a zealot, intent on clearing humanity off the board so a new species can get a shot at the top. The world burns and fears the accelerant. Oh my gosh. Meanwhile, Spider-Man races across New York, desperate to avert disaster and find the one man that just might be able to get through to Man-Thing, his former colleague, Kurt Connors, a.k.a. the Lizard. Oh no. But deep within the Man-Thing psyche, it's Spider-Man that discovers something he never expected. A devilish secret, and a doctor seeking redemption. So I thought the whole thing was gonna just take place in Avengers, because the first one was called Avengers: Curse of the Man Thing. But apparently, it's getting spread across a bunch of different X Men or 
Marvel titles, including like the X Men, yeah. and I think also the Fantastic Four. But I think it's gonna be like six of them in total. They always bleed into other books. <sighs> it's fine. I I don't mind the Marvel Man thing. And first, I definitely don't mind the lizard. The first issue was kind of confusing. Okay. <laughs> Never mind then. <laughs> but whoops. That's everything we got for this week, guys. There were some lows. There were some highs. We got a bunch of laughs in, and honestly, that's all that matters at the end of the day. It's the laughter. Yep. It makes the world go round. You keep telling yourself that, buddy. I will. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys again for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comic you would like us to cover next week, and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcasts. See you next week. Bye. Bye.